They say you have three names. The one you inherit from your family. The one your parents gave you. And the one you make for yourself. So create the brand of you. Find the job you've always dreamed of and make it yours by going to Irish Jobs, Ireland's online recruitment platform. Take control of your career. Visit irishjobs.ie and move up to the next level you. Irish Jobs. Make a name for yourself. You've heard Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Bergen and McCarthy. Still waiting to entertain you on CBS are Rocky Jordan, Horace Hyde, Dick Hames and Joe Stafford, our Miss Brooks, The Whistler and Red Skelton. Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan. All I'd started out to do was say hello to an old friend. The hello was almost my goodbye, and not in an easy way. Then came a monkey that looked like a man, followed by a man that acted like a monkey, and before it was over, they'd almost made a monkey out of me. It seems that my fate was all tied up with the strange fate of Professor Joseph Amar. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Cafe Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient east where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Strange Fate of Professor Amar. I had just helped a friend catch a train at the little Caliub station on the northern outskirts of Cairo when another train came in and made its last stop before pulling into the city. An elderly man with white goatee and carrying a briefcase stepped off the last car for a quick smoke. I hadn't seen him since the war, and the six years seemed to have changed him. But I was sure it was my old friend, Professor Joseph Amar, chemical engineer. I hurried over for a word with him. Professor! Professor Amar, how are you? I beg your pardon? It's been a long time, hasn't it, Professor? A long time? May I ask... You are Professor Amar, aren't you? Why, that is my name. And you? Rocky Jordan, don't you remember? Back in Istanbul. Istanbul, oh, yes. Yes, of course. Istanbul. It must be six years now. Uh, Mr., uh, the train is leaving. I have little time. Oh, now, wait. Is that all you got to say to me? I am sorry. Permit me to return to my car. Goodbye. Sure, Professor. Goodbye to you. It had all the earmarks of a quick brush. Well, some people can change a lot in a few years. I turned my back and started to leave, but I didn't get far. The wild shouts from the crowd sent me running back. Effendi, sir. What is it? What happened? That man fell beneath the wheels of the train. He's surely dead, as you see. Yeah. How did it happen? I do not know. Uh, his briefcase lies here. And I'll take the briefcase, Buster. But Effendi... Give it to me. Sorry. Did I not see you talking to this unfortunate person but a moment ago? He's the same. Professor Joseph Amar. I hung on to Amar's briefcase, figuring to make a quick phone call to headquarters. But I didn't have to. Just then, the siren of a police car sounded outside. And a moment later, the crowd fell back for Captain Sam Sabaya. A stocky man in tweeds was with him. A couple of uniformed men came behind. Jordan! 
I don't know how, Sam, but you made it awful fast. What is going on here? What has happened? Look on the track there, you'll see. So. Can anyone identify this man? Hey, uh, I'll do it, Sam. Here's Professor Joseph Amar. Amar? Professor Amar? Are you quite sure, man? I spoke to him a couple of minutes ago. This briefcase is all that's left. Uh, I'll take that briefcase. Sam. Give it to Mr. Morby, Jordan. Ali Amud, disperse the crowded ones. Come with us now, Jordan. Why, Sam? You see it all. At once, into the station house. Jordan, this is Mr. John Morby, a businessman of Cairo. Hi, Morby. Mr. Jordan, you must tell us how this happened. I didn't see it. I came back when I heard the excitement. But you just said you'd just spoken to him. I happened to see him step off the train for a smoke. We'd known each other up in Istanbul, so I went over to say hello, that's all. Why what all did the... he say to you? Not a thing. Acted like he didn't even know me. Jordan, listen to me. Captain, it is understandable, perhaps, under the circumstances. How so, Moby? I take it you knew him, too. How does this all happen? We ask you only to help us learn the truth. Truth? So you're telling me Omar's fall under the train wasn't an accident? At this time, it is difficult to say. There's no doubt in my mind, Captain, not at all. Don't you think it's about time you explain some things, Sam? I would explain only that Mr. Morby and I were to meet Professor Amar at the Cairo station. However, he wired from the train to meet him here at Kaleob instead. That is why we arrived when we did. But you won't tell me what's behind it all. Why the big mystery? That will be all. However, I may wish to contact you again, so let me advise you, Jordan. Sure, I know, Sam. You'll find me at the tambourine. Sam and Morby went back to do some more checking, and I went where I said I'd would, to the tambourine. Evening came with no call from Sam. So when the late edition of the Cairo Gazette hit the streets, I picked one up to have a look. That set me to wondering more than ever. There wasn't a single mention of the train accident at Calio, anywhere. Then somebody came into the tambourine looking for me. A small woman of 50 or so in a black dress. You are Mr. Jordan? Yes. Can I help you? I am Mrs. Amar. Professor Amar's wife? I was his wife. Oh, please sit down. Oh, you are very kind, Mr. Jordan. Uh, I have been told that you were one of the last to see my husband alive. That's right, I was. You want me to tell you about it? Oh, no. No, Captain Sabaya told me all. I... I have been to identify my husband. But after what happened, it was so difficult. Mr. Jordan? Yes? Are you sure that it was my husband you saw? He said it was. I, I talked to him. Oh, very well. I only wanted to be certain. It is so hard to realize. Oh, of course. Mrs. Amar, has there been any change in your husband in the past few years? Why do you ask? Just the way he acted, as though he didn't recognize me. There is so little that I understand. It wasn't like Professor Amar to forget a friend. No, it was not. Well, I wish I had more to say, except that I'm sorry. The police don't think it was an accident. Do you, Mr. Jordan? I don't know. Now that I know my husband is dead, it does not matter. I... I will go now. Could I take you someplace, Mrs. Amar? Oh, no. No, please, Mr. Jordan. It is better that I be alone. I watched her go with a feeling I should be doing something. But what? Well, I sent the help home shortly after midnight and locked up. I'd been asleep in my room upstairs maybe half an hour when a sound brought me wide awake. A 
pounding at the front door. I threw on some clothes fast and went down through the cafe. Open up here. Open that one. The voice wasn't familiar. I got to the door, unlocked it, and swung it open. Several men in special uniform blocked the door, fronted by a guy waving a government-sealed envelope in my face. You are Mr. Rocky Jordan? Yeah. Well, what's the idea? Read, Mr. Jordan. A warrant issued by proper parties of the Egyptian government. Nobody needs a warrant Enough. to find me. Step out into the car at once. Where to? You will soon learn, and I warn you, Mr. Jordan, I have full authority to use whatever means necessary to... Ah, I'll spare you the fun. Come on, let's go. They drove through downtown Cairo and into the government center and up to one of the big white buildings. There we got out, one marched ahead and the others flanked me. They hustled me inside and we did a full-dress parade down a long, dark hallway. Finally, we stopped at the door marked Internal Security. They motioned me to go in. I did, and the door snapped behind me. There sat Sam Sabaya, John Morby, and behind an imposing desk, a rock-faced official. The nameplate said Shalak Bay. Mr. Rocky Jordan? Yeah, that's right. Sam here can tell you. Sit down. Thank you, Mr. Clover. That was kind of you. I didn't want her to hear. You know why Paul had the ring? I suppose it was just a child's gift. That's right, to another child. You didn't have to kill Paul. When you followed them, eavesdropped on them, you you should have known that Paul was as lost as your wife. You should have known that. I thought it was something else. I, I thought it was a boy who picked up my sick wife in the park and was acting a part for her. You slugged me because if I learned the girl who came to the lake was your wife, I'd know who killed Paul. And now you know. May I say goodbye to my wife? I'd better go with you. All right. No. No, I'd better not. If I went into that room now while she's playing that music, she wouldn't even know who I was. Take me away, Mr. Clover. In the dregs of nighttime, the slabs of Broadway lean against the darkness in crazy, tilted angles. The balance is delicate, precise, so the walk must be careful, the talk furtive. It's the never-never time that ebbs toward the edge of the world. It's the time of regret. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mogovan. The program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Whitfield Connor was heard as Earl Garland and Sammy Hill as Lisa Garland. 
Featured in the cast were Ted Osborne, Junius Matthews, Howard McNear, and Lou Merrill. Maybe your dad can lick Charlie McCarthy's dad, but nobody can lick Charlie McCarthy's Edgar Bergen, not when slick comedy is called for. The Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy Show, heard every Sunday night on CBS Radio, is just about one of the funniest things that can happen to you. Listen for it and laugh tomorrow night on most of these same stations. Bill Anders speaking, and remember, the comedy treat that can't be beat is Jack Benny time Sunday nights on the CBS Radio Network. Return of those papers and uh, information leading to the solution of his murder. Nobody told me. Shall we continue with the questioning now, Mr. Jordan? There's nothing more to tell. Enough of this. We have other methods of getting information. All right, use them then, Sherlock Bay. Either book me or let me out of here. I think I will let you go, Mr. Jordan. Oh, little cat and mouse, huh? Well, let me tell you this. Don't plan to put anybody to follow me around, because I don't like it. Indeed. You will do well, Mr. Jordan, to concern yourself with graver problems. Think about it. Think most carefully. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. If you're planning on having a juicy ham for Easter, chances are you're having pineapple with it. And if it's Del Monte pineapple, there's going to be a lot of happy eating next Sunday. It's so full ripe, so tart sweet. Goodness, yes, Larry. I wouldn't be without Del Monte pineapple this next week for anything, especially Del Monte crushed pineapple, for the ham or for desserts like pineapple cakes and pies. It's such a handy style. Yes, Del Monte crushed pineapple is a wonderful way to put superb tropic flavor into your favorite recipes. And when I say superb flavor... I mean it. You ought to see how Del Monte picks those selected pedigreed pineapples. Beautiful, luscious fruit, heavy with golden juice and rich in tart, sweet, refreshing flavor. You can't miss it in any style of Del Monte pineapple. Sliced, crushed, chunks, tidbits, or juice. I remember the first time I tried it. I said to myself, why shouldn't I always get pineapple this good? The answer is you do when you always get Del Monte pineapple. Get acquainted with it this week, especially Del Monte crushed pineapple for your Easter treats. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Strange Fate of Professor Amar. Well, I left.
left the internal security office knowing I was high on the suspect list in the puzzle of Professor Amar's death. And I kept mulling two things. Item one, why Professor Amar hadn't seemed to know me at Calliope. Item two, the woman posing as Amar's wife would come to my cafe with questions. She could give an answer if I could find her. I started with a blind beggar on the corner near my tambourine. Next, I tried the taxi driver's stand. One of them looked real wise and drove me over beyond the Bulak Bridge to a little hotel. I woke up the clerk. The fee is half a pound for a single payable in advance. Sign here. Oh, uh, not this time. I'm just looking for somebody. Somebody? <laughs> Only nobody's live here. Uh, there's a woman, past 50, sad eyes, dressed in black. Her name is not familiar. She calls herself Mrs. Amar. You are helping. How do you recognize her? She's my grandmother. Which side of the family? Look, would some money brighten your eyes? Yes, but it would not loosen my tongue. It went on that way till I realized she really wasn't there. The cabbie had brought me out there only to pick up a fee. So I went back over the bridge to Cairo and chased around the rest of the night with no more leads. It was getting toward daylight by the time I was back unlocking the door of my tambourine. Before I got inside, I saw somebody else was up early. A weaselly little character with a perpetual grin. Hello, Mr. Jordan. You don't know me. They call me the monkey. <laughs> I can see why. I know you're looking for a woman. A woman so important as to keep the lights of the Office of Internal Security burning at night. What's her name? A real one. Oh, I don't know. But I can take you to her, Mr. Jordan, for a fee. Will ten piastres do it? Oh, no, much less. No, a hundred pounds. A hundred? For a whole, for a whole year after, blank. Nothing on the blather concerning Miss Peg Miller, which leads to a conclusion. Oh? The conclusion that this Mr. Garrett of the riot call last night took Miss Miller in hand, changed her way, made her... Anything else, Gino? Perhaps another item of interest concerning Miss Peg Miller? Tell me. That every time she was booked, there was a certain Sir Galahad to go her bail. Who? Petty thief, Danny. Small-time hoodlum. Who has also made his mark on our blotters? Who? Johnny Palmer. Last known address, 1823 West 19th. Oh, thank you, Gino. You've been helpful. You're welcome, Danny. Hey, Wash, Detective Muggerman speaking. Get a squad car, Muggerman. Pick me up outside. Sure. Want to tell me why, Danny? On the way downtown. Right away, huh, Muggerman? Ride then through street corridors and swarm to the address of Johnny Palmer. Thief, hood, bailsman for Peg Miller. Missing woman who by a friend was thought dead. Place of brownstone, place where questions are to be asked. Hold it a minute, huh, Danny? I'll check the mailboxes. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Palmer, 1C, first floor rear. Come on, my boy. Knocking and banging, banging and knocking. 
Stop making so much noise. Hey, wait a second. We're police. We want to talk to you. You say uh, police? Yeah, that's right. Uh, come to lock up Johnny Palmer, huh? What makes you think that? Come to put him away for the rest of his life, huh? I asked you what makes you think put that. Put him in the electric chair, maybe? Why would we want to do that? Because he's no good. Don't like him, huh? Hate him. And I'm a man who gets along with everybody. Johnny just goes against your grain. He's a thief. He sneaks around. He's got no manners. Has a fishy eye. You take a chance just saying hello to him. You... Uh, here he comes now. They've come for you, Johnny. Cops have come to take you. Why did you have come on. Right, come on. Yeah. You better stop, Johnny. Uh, you're going to have to catch me, Calver. <laughs> and we're going to do just that. <laughs> Didn't we? Agile. For being all that long, ain't you, cop? On your feet. <laughs> your hands up in front of you. Touch the wall. Lugman? Uh-huh. Whatever you find shaking me down, I found in the street. Where'd you get these earrings, Johnny? I found them in the street. That's your bright answer, huh? You're going to book me anyhow. You're going to do the thing with the handcuffs anyhow. You're going to do the wrist bit. Do it, Muggerman. Uh-huh. Wrist bit. Whatever kind of work you do, I'm sure you've noticed how it's the long, dull jobs that sort of get you down. You get so bored with doing the same thing over and over. Well, next time that happens, find out what a lot of help it is to chew delicious double mint gum. You see, as soon as you stick your teeth into a stick of smooth double mint, you enjoy a feeling of real satisfaction. And you'll like the steady, natural rhythm of chewing. Delicious Double Mint is a long-lasting treat, too. You can chew away for as long as you like. And you have something you enjoy doing while you go on with your work. And that cool... cool... A very fine Shut up, trap. monkey. Stand by the wall, Jordan. You do the job here, Zeno? It was the plan. She served her purpose. Then I take it you sent her to my cafe, too, calling yourself Mrs. Amar. Only to get your impressions of the man you saw at the Kalyup station. <laughs> Wait a moment. <laughs> it occurs to me the monkey's purpose is also fulfilled. Zeno, no. I did what you said, Zeno. No, no. You'd do it to anybody, wouldn't you? Anybody, Jordan. But it is not yet your time. I still have further purpose for you. Zeno motioned his gun toward the doorway and we went out. He put me in a small car parked around by the side and drove out of old Cairo going south, skirting the hills above the Nile with a big flying red horse sign. He then turned east on a road leading into the desert. A few miles of this and I saw a cluster of palm trees ahead. As we drew closer, I saw it was an old abandoned date farm. We stopped there, and Zeno took me into his shed and down some steps to the cellar. A flickering candle revealed a figure lying there on the floor. At the sound, he raised himself with an effort. As he turned his face, I saw who it was. It couldn't be, but it was. The man I'd thought to be dead. Professor Joseph Hamar. Mr. Jordan. It is you, Mr. Jordan. So you do know me. You seem surprised, Jordan, to see Hamar still alive. Surprise is your word. 
But it has been so long. Why do they bring you here? I don't know. A lot of things I don't know. Don't you, Jordan? One thing, the switch. The man at Kaliub Station. No wonder he didn't recognize me. Oh, but he looked the part well enough. I thought he changed. Was he one of your setups, Zeno? He also served his purpose. The world has now learned of his death. Sure. So you can spirit the real Amar away and nobody'd know. Yeah. Now you see the full reason why the woman went to your cafe. Sure, to learn if I'd tumble to the switch. You still weren't sure, so you sent the monkey to get me. Excellent. What happens to Amar now? Oh, he is much better alive than dead. You see, I have arranged with uh, interested parties to outfit a laboratory on the island of Madagascar. There, the professor will continue to work on his jet fuel, work for which he will be paid handsomely. And uh, you may go too, Jordan. That brings up a point. Just why am I here? Simple. First, to convince Professor Amar that the authorities consider him dead and are not looking for him. Second, because he has too little regard for his own life. Go on. Perhaps he will reconsider when he sees a friend suffer. (laughs) And I'll be very happy to separate you piece by piece before his eyes if he does not agree to what I want. Think it over now, both of you. Mr. Jordan, I did not know. I have been so helpless. Oh, nobody's blaming you. Professor, tell me something. Hmm? Were you actually coming into Cairo to meet Morby yesterday? Yes, but I was picked up by Zeno before I boarded the train. He brought me here. What about the telegram for Morby and the police to meet you at Kaliub? I sent no telegram. They set that up, too. Now, they're asking you to do a lot. Yes. Until now, I have refused. My discovery must be used only for good. There is already too much evil in the world. But now I must think also of your life. Well, there's still one chance. But what, Mr. Jordan? What is the one chance? I phoned Morby to call the police if I wasn't back in an hour. The police will be out looking for us. Let us trust that they find us. It is our only hope. We waited there in the cellar, hanging to that one hope. Several hours went by, and still nobody came. We thought of a hundred ways of escape, but none had worked. And it was night again before we heard some activity above. Then the door opened, and Zeno came in. When we saw who was with him, we knew our last hope was gone. Sure, I should have guessed it. The big engineering man, John Morby. Well, Jordan, I see we meet again, huh? It figures you didn't call Sam Sabaya. Mr. Morby, but I do not understand. Well, let Jordan explain it to you, Professor Amar. He seems to understand these things. Then it was you who had me brought here. Of course. Zeno tells me you've been making a decision. He's had more than enough time. Quickly, then. Will you do as we say? I... I must ask Mr. Morby. How would you know if I were really working for you? We'll take that chance. Your findings can be tested. We'll find out soon enough. And just what happens to the findings? They'll be sold on the open market to the highest bidder. Men or nations, I don't care. You better think twice, Professor Omar. There is a plane hidden in the brush nearby. 
Zeno will fly you both to Madagascar immediately. Unless you wish Mr. Jordan left here on the desert. Your answer, Professor Amar. I... I have no choice. I will do whatever you say. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. The men folks may be getting out in the garden with the early birds these spring mornings, but there's nothing bird-like about their appetites when they come into breakfast. And that's just the time to have the Del Monte tomato juice poured and ready. Isn't it the truth, though? You know why my husband likes Del Monte tomato juice? He says... No, go ahead and talk. All she wanted was money. All my money, all of it. Not me, not anything else. Just money, 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 money. Listen, what I did... I wish I could have written about it. You tell us. I strangled her. Drove her all the way back to Manhattan. I came up to her apartment. Got the things you found. The fur and the watch and the radio. Drove all the way back to Montauk. And buried her in the dune. How could you possibly have found her? Just a guy at the watch you buried with Peg Miller was a copy. Not this watch. What? We haven't found her yet. Well, then... You've tricked me? Now you're going to think terrible things about New York's finest. I... Let's go. down on Broadway, and the crowd swarms the streets to embrace it. Laughter pours out of the shadows places. For a time, no despair, just small shocks and sweet promises, and have a drink on me for a time, just for a time. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Refreshing double mint chewing gum is really two treats in one. A satisfying, long-lasting chewing treat and a delicious flavor treat. That's a pleasant combination for real enjoyment and for a good many welcome helps that mean a lot when you need them. For example, when you get hungry in between meals, chew a stick of double mint and you'll find it's easier to wait until mealtime. You see, the smooth chewing is satisfying and gives you something pleasant to do. And double mint is light and agreeable, never rich or heavy. The cool, clean double mint flavor freshens your taste and sweetens your breath, too. Yes, delicious double mint gum gives you a good deal of enjoyment and many pleasant helps, all at a mighty low cost. So try it soon, at work or pleasure, indoors or out. Enjoy delicious double mint chewing gum. Costs so little, tastes so good, lasts so long.
makers of Double Mint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story and that you are enjoying delicious Double Mint Gum every day. We invite you to join us again next week at this same time when Detective Danny Clover returns again with Broadway's My Beat. Broadway's My Beat, brought to you by Double Mint Chewing Gum, is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. The program is written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Mugabin. In tonight's story, Jack Edwards was heard as Floyd and Jerry Hausner as Johnny. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Martha Wentworth, and Junius Matthews. Bill Anders speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. In the time before dawn, Broadway is an island of silence torn from the blazing neon, the midnight sun of the spectaculars. The river mists mingle with the vapors rising from manhole covers. Through them move the rejects, the stragglers, the wanderers, the men without sleep. One detaches himself, scavenges in a trash bin choked with the remnants of night, finds nothing, moves on to the next. It's the time of the endless search, the restlessness of an anguish you can't understand on the street built for the purpose. You walk it, and a shadow whimpers, and you hurry on, close your heart to it, because the whimper was yours. And finally, you must put aside whatever it was you were looking for, because on a side street, a man waits for you to give you the nighttime's departing gift. The boy lying dead against the iron gate of the tenement's basement court. Pablo Molari, Danny, from uptown, West 109th Street. Carried one of those handwritten identification cards. Find anything else on him? Not much. Five-dollar bill in his wallet. His saint's medallion he's wearing on a chain around his neck. That's about all. Now, you question the people in the... Yeah, Danny, every door. No one ever heard of the kid. Had nothing to do with him. Didn't want to talk about him. You know, most of them were trying to sleep, the heat, the kid squalling, you know. Yeah. Beaten. Jaw broken. This bruise on his throat... Must be the one that killed him. Here, come down here, Danny. What? Take a look at the sign on this door. Hudson Club, Johnny Hammett, president. I guess it's one of those street clubs the kids make up for themselves. This neighborhood's loaded with them. You think what happened to this kid is part of it? Yeah, I think. What do you think? Maybe. Check it, Muggerman. I'll get back to you. And wait now for the decent hour. Give to someone a few more hours of sleep before breaking the news about the death of a young man. And at 8.30, to an address on West 109th Street. Climb four flights and be careful of the rotting steps and the three-year-olds at play. 
The door opens to your knock, and the woman who pinches her shawl close to her throat doesn't understand what you're saying, and calls a neighbor who understands, who explains to the woman, the mother of a murdered young man, explains what must be done, accept the fact of death, identify the body, bury her son, then walk away from all of it. You've started a new day. Call headquarters. Detective Muggerman gives you an address. Looked for and found and checked by the night shift. Johnny Hammett, president of the Hudson Club, a tenement on West 43rd near the docks. Johnny's glad for the company. 